I want to begin this morning by reading the text of Scripture that is our primary text today from Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 1. On the first day of the week, early at dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. And when they found, uh, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their face to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. That was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But the words seemed to them an idle tale. And they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, and stooping in and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Let's pray. Father, we are very grateful to be in this place today. We're thankful for what you're doing. We're thankful for your kindness to us. But today we come to acknowledge that all of what is happening is possible because of what we celebrate this day, namely the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So thank you for the truth of it, for the reality of it, and as we give our attention to it this morning, I pray that our response would be proportional to what you have accomplished for us through Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Why is Easter such a big deal. Why is Easter such a significant celebration? And it's interesting to me that as much as people have tried to, to hijack Easter, it still is about Jesus always. It always comes back to that. We, we have lots of bunnies and eggs, and we can have fun with all of that kind of stuff. But in the final outcome, Easter is about Jesus. Easter is, a, it is the central holiday, if you will, the central celebration of all of Christianity. Why is that? Why does it strike people as so odd? Why do people fight so much against it? I suspect it is for this reason, and it is the reason that at Halloween, we hang it. Well, we don't hang out in graveyards, but they are used at Halloween, right? If you're part of a, a Halloween event, some kind of scare thing or whatever, it usually involves a graveyard and usually involves an empty grave, right? And not uncommonly involves somebody who theoretically had been there that's walking around because that doesn't make sense, right? But it does at Easter because that's what we celebrate at Easter. So all things being open and honest, can, can we be reasonable enough to say we celebrate something that seems completely unreasonable, even though it's true. A dead man came back to life again. 
not just in spirit, not just in, in the imagination of his followers, but he was actually dead, and he is now actually alive. That's what we celebrate at Easter. That's what's being talked about here in Luke chapter 24. We no longer look for life among the dead. I want you to think about those ladies' expectations in those first three verses. It talks about how they went there and they were going to the tomb early in the morning and they brought the spices that they had prepared and all of that. The ladies' expectations were to find a dead body. In fact, we know that because at the end of the previous chapter, I want to go to Luke 23, verse 49. This is talking about Jesus. Now, all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Now, there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid it in a tomb cut in stone where where no one had yet ever been laid. It was the day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath day they rested according to the commandment, but on the first day of the week they returned to the tomb. Those ladies fully expected to find Jesus still there. Now, I don't know if in your mind <clears throat> you're thinking to yourself, well, what was wrong with them? Why didn't they get it? Why didn't they know that? They totally expected to show up to the tomb, figure out a way to get that stone rolled away, go in there and embalm the body of Jesus. Let me... Let me let me point to the question of the angels. Because they were as perplexed as the ladies, but just for a different reason, right? Verse 4, while they were perplexed about this, they were trying to figure out, oh, wait a minute, why isn't there a body in here? Two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? Why are you looking for Jesus here? I think the angels were just as confused as the ladies. What, why are you here? He's been telling you all about this. For three years, you guys have been hearing him talk about this. Let me ask you a question. What if the ladies had been right? What if they had gotten there and found a body. I mean, they wouldn't have found the wrong tomb because they followed and made sure they found the right tomb, they knew right where it was so they could go and take care of business and come back and then embalm the body. What if they'd been right and Jesus had been there? See, Paul addresses that question in 1 Corinthians 15. He talks about if Christ had not raised from the dead, if Jesus had not come back, there would be some things that were true. And it's the reason that everything depends on this. So let me read this for you from 1 Corinthians 15. Now, 
Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then the following things are true. Our preaching is vain. The word for vain means without content. I might as well get up here and talk every week about three steps to financial freedom or six steps to a better marriage or how to fix your car because there's no point in preaching from this book if Jesus did not come back to life again. There is no content to my preaching. The same is true of your faith. Our preaching is vain <coughs> and your faith is in vain. Your faith has no content. It's just wishful thinking. Have you ever been accused of that? Well, you just would like it to be true. If Jesus didn't actually come back to life again, they are correct. You would just like it to be true. It's empty faith. We are even found, verse 15 says, to be misrepresenting God because we've testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise, if it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead aren't raised, then not even Christ has been raised. Either there is such a thing as resurrection or there isn't. Now, it's one thing to believe in fairy tales. It's another thing to publicly stand before people and say, God raised Jesus from the dead and misrepresent God. That's really bad. But it's still not done. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. How is that different from vain? That means it's pointless. It doesn't accomplish anything. Not only does it lack any content to be of any value, but it doesn't accomplish anything. It's void of result. It just makes you feel better. But most... Uh, dramatic of all, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. See, we say because Jesus actually came back to life again, people can be free from their sins. We sang about it earlier, right? I'm free. Come join the song of all the redeemed. We're free. Free from our sins. Free from the penalty of our sins. Free from the bondage of our sins. None of it's true if the ladies had been right. If they had found Jesus, it wouldn't be true. And to sum it up, Paul says, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. In other words, those who are dead are dead. All of this, we'll see you again, is not true. All this talk of they're in a better place isn't true if Jesus didn't come back to life again. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If the ladies were right, that's us. Now, they're not. They, they were gladly incorrect, and we're going to come to that in a minute. But I want to I challenge you with something. Do we have that same temptation? I mean, to live as though the resurrection weren't real? Do we have a tendency to live life as though 
this is just part of our routine. We go to church. So there are a lot of people in the world who are connected to a religious structure. They, they go to a church service of some sort. They follow a set of moral obligations to one degree or another. How are we different from that? More importantly, how do we live differently than that? I think we have a tendency to live as though the permanent reality that is the resurrection of Jesus is more like a story. It's kind of one of the things we talk about. It's from the past. We've seen so many cool things come out of Hollywood that are amazing that we're like, oh, that could just be, you know, a cool story. Let's go back and watch that one again. We don't let it, though, change our priorities. We don't uh, let our to-do list be adjusted by the reality that Jesus is actually alive again. We perhaps don't let it change the way we think or process things. I wonder if Jesus were really alive, and, we, and he is really alive, but if we really lived our life with that truth in mind, I wonder what it would change. I wonder what it would change about our behavior. Now, I'm not taking time today to go through evidences for the resurrection. I am convinced that it is perfectly historically reasonable to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. You can jot down two names if you want to. One is Lee Strobel. He's been around a long time. He was an investigative journalist for the Chicago uh, Tribune, I think it was, whose wife became a believer and he took it upon himself as an investigative journalist to prove that she was mistaken in the foundation of her faith, that Jesus didn't rise from the dead, and became convinced by the overwhelming historical evidence as an investigative journalist that, in fact, it was true. So he's one name you should look up. Another is Gary Habermas, who is a, a faculty member up at Liberty University who has dedicated his life from a theological vantage point of talking about the historical reality, the reasonableness. You talk to someone who wants absolute, verifiable proof that Jesus lived and died and came back to life again, you ask them to give you absolutely verifiable scientific proof that Homer wrote the Iliad and the Odyssey. They can't do it. They're asking for something that is unreasonable. But nobody denies that Homer wrote the Iliad and the Odyssey. Because historically, it is perfectly reasonable to believe that that's true. Historically, it is completely reasonable to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. The question is never whether it's reasonable. The question is whether I'm willing. So if you're here this morning and you happen to be battling with that, man, those guys have written way more expertly than I could argue that Jesus actually rose from the dead, that it can be verified but we tend to live as though that reality is more of a story. And we treat the transitory as if it were more the permanent reality. How do we do that? Well, 1 John, John, the Apostle John talked about it. 
one of the ones who actually was there at the foot of the cross, said this, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. The desires of the flesh, the things that make you feel good or feel happy, not only lust, but including lust. The things that make me feel good, that's the lust of the flesh. The things that attract my attention, the things I want to have, consumerism, our Our whole economy is based on the idea of consumerism. The whole idea of marketing is based on the fact that I've got to convince these people they want something, they need something that they really only want. And they may not even really want it, but I'm going to convince them they need it. The desires of the eyes and the pride of life. That's just pride in what I have and do. Is it wrong to be happy with what I do? Is it wrong to enjoy the possessions God has given me? Is it somehow ungodly to want to be happy? No. But all of that stuff is passing away. All of those things that we depend on for those things is passing away. But the reality of who Jesus is and what he has done is a permanent reality. So we no longer look for life among dead things, but rather we live and we serve God with purpose. Verse 6, as the angels continue talking to the ladies, they say, he's not here, he's risen. Remember How he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. The resurrection results in action. When I finally acknowledge the reality of the resurrection, it will result in action for me. They remembered Jesus' words. All of a sudden, those things that he kept saying that seemed so confusing to them at the time, because they were battling with the same thing we talked about last Sunday, this, this series of expectations for the coming king, the Messiah who would be the king and a national deliverer. They were battling with some of those same expectations. And Jesus kept saying, but I'm not going to be here long. And it didn't make sense. Now it began to make sense. They remembered Jesus' words And they went and told the disciples. Their immediate impulse was to make sure other people knew. When they found out that Jesus was alive, their immediate impulse was to make sure the rest of the disciples knew. This is really true. The resurrection results in action. But can we be honest with ourselves? It is a little overwhelming. Verse 10 is very interesting to me. It's Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women 
who told these things to the apostles, and these words seemed to them like an idle tale. To the apostles, to the guys who some six weeks down the road would be standing before crowds of thousands proclaiming Jesus came to life again. It seemed like an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Good old Peter, he wanted to see for himself. And he ran, and he looked in, and he saw the linen cloths. When John records this, he says he and Peter ran together, and John got there and stopped and just kind of peeked in. And Peter ran right on into the tomb, and there was no one in there. It seemed like nonsense. What we hold to requires faith. It is perfectly reasonable from an historical vantage point to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But ultimately, what we believe requires faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith is the evidence of things that we can't see, the substance of things that we hope for. It is faith that we have to have. We hold to the reality of the resurrection by faith. And sometimes even in the magnitude of our joy, we have a hard time believing. A little bit later, Jesus appears to his disciples in this same chapter of Scripture, in, in chapter 24 and verse 36. As the disciples were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them. And said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. <laughs> now, the ladies had already come and said, we, he's, he's not in the tomb anymore. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? I love how Jesus does that to people. And even the angels. It's like, why does this seem so odd to you? Why are you startled? Why are you so troubled? He said, see my hands, my feet. It's I myself. Touch me, see. A spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he'd said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy, isn't that the definition of something that seems too good to be true? They disbelieved for joy and were marveling. He said, do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Why is that so important? Because Jesus was real. He wasn't an apparition. He wasn't a ghost. He was a, a physical person back to life again. He could have a piece of fish with him. What is our response? <clears throat> I want to read a little for you. It's not on the screen uh, but I want to read from Acts chapter 1. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, this is a little bit later now, after this time we're reading about, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now, I find that a funny question. Because if for some unimaginable reason, as I'm talking to you, I just started going up in the air and I just disappeared, at least a few of you would probably be wondering, what in the world? Looking for the wires, trying to figure out what in the world have they done, right? We would stand there staring up into heaven and the angels are like, what are you guys looking for? This same Jesus who was taken up for you is coming again. And he has just said to you, you're going to be witnesses. I'm going, I'm coming back. All of the things that were prophesied of Jesus, it was prophesied he would be born. It happened. It was prophesied he would live a perfect life. He did it. It was prophesied he would die. He did. It was prophesied he would come back to life again. He did. The only thing left is for him to come back. And in the meantime, we have work to do. That's where our response comes in. Now I want to go to Acts chapter 2, and I'm going to read one verse for you, and then we're going to be in Acts chapter 2 pretty much for the remainder of this time because I want to talk to you about some things from a sermon that Peter preached. That same Peter who didn't believe it when the ladies first came and said, Jesus isn't there. He must have come back to life again. The angel said he did. And Peter ran and saw the empty tomb and was marveling about it. He's been through all that experience. But I want to give you five things that are the inevitable result of coming to the realization that Jesus has actually risen from the dead. The first is hope. Jesus had promised this to his disciples in John 14, 19. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. We have hope. When we die, it is not the end. All of those sermons that I have preached at funerals, all of those times I have officiated and stood at a graveside of someone who had trusted in Jesus, I have always gone to 1 Corinthians 15 and said, this is not goodbye. This is, I will see you later. Because the hope of the resurrection for all of us is based on the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because I live, you too will live. We have hope. Secondly, there's witnessing. <laughs> Acts chapter 2 and verse 32. He's been preaching along. I mean, he is going at it. This Jesus, you killed through the hands of wicked men. God has raised him up. And the verse 32 says that. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. This is on the day of Pentecost. This is when the disciples are preaching away, letting the people know, we're up here because Jesus actually came back to life again. There's witnessing involved. We testify to other people if we believe that Jesus actually rose again. There is adoration Look at verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain 
that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. He is both master and Messiah. He is the anointed one. He is the one who is the boss. He is Lord and Christ. So there is adoration, acknowledging who Jesus is, and that is going to lead for some to repentance. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brother, what shall we do? Cut to the heart. What should we do? And Jesus, no, Peter said to them about Jesus, repent. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus because of the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off. That includes us. For Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. What must I do when I'm cut to the heart, when I recognize the reality of who Jesus is and that he lived and that he died and that he came back to life again, actually literally came back to life again, I am cut to the heart and I repent. I turn from my sin. And in that instant, God saves me. And I make the step of being baptized I want to publicly let people know, based on the fact that God has been kind enough to forgive me of my sins, I want to be baptized. I want to let other people know. And when I do that, when I repent of my sin, there is forgiveness. This is from Acts chapter 13, another sermon. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. First Corinthians 15, 20. After all of that depressing news about what would be true if in fact The ladies had been right. What if Jesus hadn't been raised from the dead? But Paul concludes, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. That's why we're here today. That's why we celebrate Easter. That's why we rejoice in the reality of what happens here every single Sunday. It's why we meet on the first day of the week. Because Jesus came back to life again. We celebrate it every Sunday we show up. Easter is way more than chocolate bunnies and brightly colored eggs, right? It's the celebration of the actual bodily resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So if, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've heard all the stuff that's got to naturally happen, right? My heart is challenged as I think about how can I live differently as though the resurrection really were true because it is. What needs to change in my priorities, on my to-do list, in my activities? What kind of things will be affected in my decision-making process if it's in the light of the fact that Jesus actually came back to life again and someday he's coming back? Things are going to change. What do I have to set aside and begin to give less attention to? I don't know what that'll be for you. 
But I do know this, if you're here this morning or if you're listening by our live stream or watching the recording later, I do know this, if you've never repented of your sin and trusted in Jesus, there is only one necessary response for you today, and that is to do that. The Bible is abundantly clear that everybody's on a level playing field. We are all sinners. All of us fall short of the glory of God. Nobody is good enough in God's sight. You don't have to worry about whether somebody else is better than you and they might make it or whether somebody else is worse than you and at least you're better off than them. It doesn't matter because we all fall short. And God doesn't grade on a curve. He requires absolute perfect holiness for us to live with him forever. Well, we've all messed that up. So we can either all go home or we can celebrate the resurrected Christ. Because Jesus actually came, lived the perfect life. God, come in the flesh, lived the perfect life, all of the demands of the law that none of us could ever have lived, was largely because of that, taken by the Pharisees, given to the Romans, beaten and crucified, and he died, paying the penalty for sin. Then went into the tomb where everyone expected him to stay, even those who were his closest associates. But on the third day, when they showed up early on that Sunday morning, they found the tomb empty, not because someone had moved him. The Pharisees tried that. Tell him somebody moved his body. It would be a lot easier just to show his body, right? Why say somebody moved it? Why not just show it? That would have proved everything false right in the moment. Nobody moved it. Nobody hid it. It wasn't some kind of spiritual resurrection. Plenty of people saw. He actually came back to life again. So what has to happen? I repent of my sin. However much or little of it I think I have doesn't matter. God doesn't grade on a curve. A C doesn't get me through. It has to be absolutely A plus 100% perfect. So I know I'm not there. I repent of my sin. I believe in the gospel, the reality of who Jesus was and what he did. And I receive Christ. And when I do that, I receive forgiveness of my sins. If that's never happened for you today, man, I plead with you. Let, let Easter Sunday be the day that happens for you. Let the day when we're all celebrating the resurrection of Jesus be the day that you come to faith in Christ. I'm going to hang out up here, up front afterwards. Uh, we're going to have people standing here for whatever prayer needs you might have uh, after we uh, sing this morning or as we sing, and uh, you can come and talk to them about that. Man, this would be a perfect day to trust in Jesus, and uh, I hope you will do that. But for all of us, man, let's let this day change us. It comes around every year. We celebrate it every year, and we have the opportunity to remember the truth about who Jesus is and what Jesus has accomplished for us. He actually came back to life again. It's incredible, and it makes a difference, right? It's not just part of the story. Here's... here's what one writer said, our amazement should turn to action. 
If the resurrection is more than a story, we must consider ourselves to be more than neutral bystanders eavesdropping on someone else's conversation. We're actually kin to the characters described. We read and realize we're not just being talked about, we're being spoken to. The resurrection is true. Jesus came back to life again. It's what we have for hope. It's the only hope that anybody has, and we know about it. Let's give our all to make sure that as many people as we possibly can tell hear about it. Amen? Listen, our team's going to come back up. We're going to sing, and uh, we're going to do our benediction together, and then we're going to kind of transition outside and hang out and enjoy some fellowship together. So let me pray. Father in heaven, I'm very grateful for today. I'm grateful for the celebration that is ours. Lord, I thank you that Jesus actually came back to life again. All of the rest of the story about Jesus would just be a great story of another wonderful example of a person if the resurrection weren't true. But in fact, Jesus did rise again. So we thank you for the truth of it, the reality of it, and the fact that it changes our lives dramatically. Oh God, I pray. I pray for the one or more that's here or listening that doesn't know Christ. Lord, would you, would you just work in their heart in such a way that they have no rest until they come to faith in Jesus. Lord, challenge us all. Encourage our hearts today as we go from this place, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.